Well, a very real story, and uh, maybe your heart's ticking a little bit faster because you certainly identify with something like that. And that's what we're going to delve into here this morning. Hey, um, I just want to do a, a big shout out. Good morning. Welcome to those who are listening and watching online by, via live stream. I understand there's a lot of people out there this morning who are listening uh, and watching by live stream or by podcast. So we certainly welcome you all around the world here to Launceston, Tasmania, here at Door of Hope Christian Church. Do we not? Yes. <laughs> Hey, uh, if you do have access to a smartphone, feel free to grab those out now and go to Uversion, the app called Uversion, Y-O-U-Version, and go to the menu bar and type in D-O-H or Door of Hope. One of those will certainly get you there to follow through with our notes this morning. For those of us who don't, feel free to grab out your journal or some paper and a pencil there on the seat there in front of you and follow through with us this morning. We are in this series called Simplify. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this is the third week of a 10-week series based on the book called Simplify. And I hope we're reading through those and discussing this book in our small groups or as uh, uh, singles in, uh, in groups together or uh, at married couples. Um, and we said right from the word go, this is not about doing less. This is about prioritizing what is important in this one and only life that you and I have been blessed with. So we've dealt with exhaustion, have we not? <laughs> We're now energized. I wonder how many people did their buckets, you know, those five, four or five things in our buckets. What fills our buckets? Where was our line of energy level? Then last week, we dealt with being overscheduled to being organized. And of course, we're organized now, right? So we're prioritizing in our diaries what is important in our lives because other people and other things have agendas for our lives. We are prioritizing. And so today we've already mentioned that we're going from overwhelmed to in control. With the context of this has already been mentioned here with that story just gone there, is that often being overwhelmed is often expressed in the area of our finances, you know, you hear some people say that I'm overwhelmed with my bills, with my credit card, with debt, with concerns about my future, whether or not I will have enough. Now, simply put here this morning, there is no way to simplify our lives if our relationship with money is out of control. Now, this particular subject, as hard as it is sometimes to talk about, we here at Door of Hope don't shy away from it because the world and the commercials and business and things like that certainly are coming at us with how to look after our finances. Yet God's Word from beginning to end teaches us to be good stewards. Probably a more modern word is the word manager, to be good managers of what he's blessed us with. And so this particular topic today, if you listen carefully, something from the inside out might really occur in your life. This is of great importance to God. So the story, the text this morning we're going to look at, we're going to look at a guy in Scripture, a very well-known passage and a very well-known you know, known character who was overwhelmed in guilt and in shame, not because of the way he managed or mismanaged his money, but how he earned it, how he abused it, and also how he hoarded his money. This guy, he had a terrible relationship with money, but then he encountered Jesus. We pick the story up in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And by the way, everything changes in this area of your life when you encounter Jesus. We're going to hear this as it unfolds. It goes like this. 
Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through. Now, a man was there by the name of, I'm going to say Zacchaeus, if you can hang in there with me, that pronunciation. I know there's a couple of them. I'm just going to say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. What was he? He was a chief tax collector. And what was he? He was wealthy. Two key things that are important. You know, I did this, uh, Andrew Morrison, I was Andrew, was here a moment ago. He, we, uh, we did a, um, a, a preaching masterclass. Just keep that slide up there if we could. We did a preaching masterclass this Tuesday, just gone by with Alan Meyer, who was here a couple of weeks ago. And man, can that guy talk, right? What an incredible communicator. And he said this, and it's something that put words to my thinking. One of the things he said, he said, is to suspect the text. Suspect the text. And I'm thinking, what does he mean by that? He goes on and explains. He said, suspect that there is more in the text than you can see or read. Suspect that there is more in the text than you can read. So let's read this again. Because there's stuff here in this text that there is more that's happening. All right? So hang there, hang in there. It goes like this. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was, what, short, I won't ask for any hands there, <laughs> he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Are you suspecting anything at this moment? You might not be. And that's why we do Daily Hope 20 Minutes in the Chair. We suspect the text. What is God saying to us? And I'm going to highlight a few things in a moment. So, he's up the tree, Jesus, Jericho. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. May God add his blessing to this reading this morning. Okay, let's suspect the test for a moment. What's happening here? What would make this man who was wealthy and a chief tax collector do the extreme? Why was he so determined to see this miracle worker? Yes, for the last couple of years, Jesus had been ministering amongst the people and he heard possibly of his reputation that he built over those, that time of his healing, of his um, feeding, and of his miracles. And now, let's put that aside. You and I would probably do a similar thing, would we not? If we heard and saw, uh, uh, we heard of somebody who was coming to town that was very famous, and we wanted a glimpse, would you and I do such an extreme thing? I think it's worth asking that particular question. We're suspecting the text at the moment. So there was something more, I believe, that was happening right here for him to do the extreme, to, to climb this sycamore tree. This, I believe, was an act of a desperate man. He wanted more than a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe. I've got, got a few maybes here, if that's okay if I go there. Maybe, first maybe is this, that the, the teachings that he had heard of this grace and forgiveness had given him hope. 
maybe the guilt and shame that he was experiencing in his life, and he would have had it, had caught up with him once and for all. Maybe this desperate man was clinging to more than a sycamore tree that day. Maybe he was clinging to hope that once and for all, that this miracle worker who he'd heard about, maybe he'd heard but not seen, maybe for the first time he'd seen him because of the tree, would free him from his bondage of his crippling relationship with money. You see, let's go back. Let's think about his life. This guy was a a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus' life had caused so much pain in other people's lives. In fact, misery. He was so selfish. He he robbed the poor. And he wasn't sharing anything with anyone, and especially the poor. Maybe, just maybe, the shame that he had experienced had built up enough in his life, and it was killing him from the inside out. And so we've discovered in the story that Jesus, Jesus himself, he wasn't invited over. Jesus invites himself over, does he not? He invites himself over. That's a pretty bold move. And he's welcomed in to the home of Zacchaeus, this guy who's far from him. Jesus would take the time and he would be interrupted to spend time with someone such as Zacchaeus. Now, okay, so that's Jesus' side of things. Let's go to Zacchaeus. What's he feeling? This would certainly boost his ego, would it not? He's a chief tax collector. He's a hated person. But this would lift Zacchaeus' standing in the community. And so Zacchaeus, this is a perfect opportunity. This is more about me than it's about Jesus. And so they come to the home. You think about it a moment. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Let's suspect the text here for a moment. What's happening here? He's going to the home. What does Zacchaeus' home look like? Is it big? Is it gigantic? Is it filled with his incredible art and accessories? Are there poor people at the front gate who cannot get in, who are calling out for help? I wonder what Jesus has to walk through to get to and into the home of Zacchaeus because he invited himself, don't forget. What we do know, what we do know is this, that something happens during the course of that meal, even though we don't fully know what the conversation, how the conversation unfolded. Over the course of that meal, in his life, in Zacchaeus' life, his life was radically turned upside down by a simple meal and conversation with Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes outside after he has the meal and he declares to the people who were listening at the time, the crowd who were there, he says what? Salvation, today salvation has come to this house. That was Jesus' declaration. What he's saying here is that someone who was lost is now found. Someone who was feeling so deeply guilty is now cleansed. Someone who was in many ways at war with God has now been reconciled to God. We don't know a lot about that conversation that went on there. The scripture scripture doesn't teach us that, but it does teach us this. Whatever happened in that place that night with Zacchaeus and with Jesus, something incredible took place in conversation and it changed Zacchaeus' life radically. But it didn't end there. Because by the end of the dinner, Zacchaeus experienced not only one reconciliation. I've got my, is this okay again? Is the camera there? Oh, there we go. I've got my flip chart again. Okay, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. 
Zacchaeus experienced not only one reconciliation, but two reconciliations. Once again, we're suspecting the text. Let's think about this. What was the first reconciliation he experienced? See if I can do this. That was his first reconciliation. His first reconciliation with Jesus as he came into his home that day. Zacchaeus experienced spiritual reconciliation. What I mean by that, when Jesus, I've already said it, that salvation, salvation, spiritual reconciliation has come to the house. He's forgiven for his moral sin and he comes into this relationship with God through Jesus but also, at the same time, not just a spiritual reconciliation, a second really reconciliation is this. Is a financial reconciliation. What do I mean by that? Thanks for asking. <laughs> that there's total repentance... As Zacchaeus comes out and declares, what does he declare? Um, repentance from his past financial sin. That half of my possessions, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor. Do you imagine what that does to the heart of God? Spiritual and now financial. He also says that if I've cheated anybody, how much is he going to pay back? Four times. You heard it. You suspect in the text. Well done. I will pay back four times what I owe them. Not one, not two, not even three, but I'm going to give four times what... Something significant happened in the house that day for Zacchaeus to experience two uh, reconciliations, spiritual and financial reconciliation. He was now seeing life through the eyes of Jesus. And when you start looking through life through the eyes of Jesus, it changes this... And it changes this. In fact, it changes everything. And that's the test. When you know you've been reconciled to Jesus spiritually and financially, you know it's changed you from the inside out. A lot of people have this reconciliation. Praise be to God. And that's a wonderful thing. But this one's a little different. Let me, let me keep going here just for a moment if I could. If, if that second reconciliation doesn't occur in somebody's life at the same time as the first reconciliation, in my humble opinion, you are one reconciliation away from being fully reconciled to God. And so you ask the question, well, how does that happen? Thank you. And what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Thank you for asking. What does it look like? We're going to have a look at these five beliefs of financial reconciliation. I'm going to come back and talk about spiritual a little bit later on and give you an opportunity to respond to spiritual reconciliation and also to this and to include both of them at the same time. But I want to ask you this question before I do. In fact, let me just bring the first point up. In fact, it's under here. Let me bring this up here. I don't have it on the screen this morning. I want to do something different. What's under here? Here we go. We've done that one. Sorry. My bad. Here we go. This first one. This is the first point of reconciliation financially with God. And it goes like this. I believe that all I have has come my way by the loving hand of God. And I'm asking you this morning, do you believe this? Did you get to where you are today all by yourself? 
So, so often, including myself, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? We talked about this during the story, didn't we? That in the beginning, who was there? Brad? Sam. Was it Brad or Sam? Or was it God? It was God. In the beginning, God. And we forget that He's been there all the way from the beginning. In the beginning, God, what did he do? He breathed life into this world and light into this world and into you so we can experience life and light. We can experience feelings and ability, learning and educational and vocational opportunities. He invites you and I to manage these things well for his purposes in this world. James 1 verse 17 says it so well. It says that every good, how many? Every good and perfect gift is from above. And a humble person, this is where Zacchaeus, is, where he landed, this is where he landed, where a humble person would say that I believe that all that I have has come my way by the loving hand of God. Do you believe that? I'm asking you this morning to answer this in your heart. Do you believe that? Because the second thing I want to say this morning is this. I must learn to live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. You know, you may have said this or may have heard somebody say it, that if only I had a better job, if I only had a nicer house or a, a newer car, then I would be happy. Now, according to that particular logic, people in Australia should be the most happiest people on earth. But more money does not equal greater happiness. Now, Paul would concur with this in his writing to the church in Philippi in chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, where he says this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through Him, through Christ, who gives me strength. You see, someone fully reconciled to God financially, joyfully accepts God's current level of provision for their life. Two quick statements are free that I learned this many a year ago, is to, is to learn to act your wage and live on less than you earn. Pretty simple words of advice, to act your wage and live on less than you earn. The true test, the true test of this, this particular one, there's a couple of tests. The first one is this, is that when God increases somebody else's provision, do you get jealous? Do you get mad or do you covet? Or do you send that word of encouragement, however you choose to do that, for them? When they get the pay rise, when they get the new car, that's a test for this particular point. I think the big test here for a moment, I want to land on here just for a moment, if you can hang with me here, because this is a big one. This is a big one. It's this. It's the issue of debt. Because what's at the root of debt? I believe this. At the root of debt is this. It's wanting more than God's current provision for my life and arranging other ways to getting it. I want to just say a couple of things, by the way, here. I realize there's good debt and bad debt. Um, good debt, of course, is that which you can service the debt. You've got ways of serving, servicing the debt. And there's bad debt. That's pretty much, well, you're in trouble. So debt, the Bible teaches us, will always lead to that sense of slavery. The borrower is what? Sl yeah, you know your Bible? The borrower is slave to the 
lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And eventually, if you become a slave in that context, it leads to shame. And when it all comes crashing down, it leads to that feeling that we're talking about today, being overwhelmed. And you and I know when we're in a place like that, and some of us are here this morning, it's not simplified living. Another example in regards to this for a moment. This is important. This is important to the heart of God. Because here in Australia, we've got those credit cards and we've got loans and all that kind of stuff going on. Let's take, let's take a young, young couple, for example. A young couple, they get married and they spend well and truly over what their wage is. And they know it. And... Uh, um, they, they become maxed out, simply paying off their home loan, three dollars $500,000 loan. They leave no margin for memories. They leave no margin for generosity. They leave no margin for family. They need, need no margin for education, for love. And then all of a sudden, the child comes along. They become from what we call dinks. You understand dinks, yeah? What is it? Double income, no kids, right? D dinks, two, one stream of income to pay for things. And of course, there is no room for God, no room for the church to move forward. He's way down the list. You know, slavery, we become enslaved to the debt which is over our heads. And then shame sneaks in and it leads to this feeling we're talking about today and that's being overwhelmed. It's a cycle. And if you heard one thing from me today, it has to end. It has to end young people that I've discipled over the years. The sit-in Karen, our lounge room over the years, this is a big thing we talk to them about our finances. We share how we do it. It's not the only way. We've certainly learned a lot in our experience in regards to this. But here are some words. Here are some words. Can I write this down? I'll come back to that in a moment. Here are some words um, that people who are debt-free use. Can we get a camera shot? There we go. Joy, freedom, and peace. You see, the sun shines brighter, doesn't it? When you're debt-free. The air that you breathe feels fresher when you're debt-free. Your conscience feels cleaner when you are debt-free. The third statement this morning, can I get this right one? Is this. Here we go. Is this one. Let's go to this one. I will honor God by giving the first 10%, the tithe of all my earnings to his purposes in this world. What I mean by that is this. Um, Proverbs, let's go to a couple of passages of scripture. Proverbs says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's just one of many. Let's go to the next one. The Malachi one, Malachi chapter 3. Bring the what? The whole tithe into the storehouse, in brackets church here, bring to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only time God says, test me, he says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Get that right. And I know, you know, we hear those whispers, but that's the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament believer. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16? You know, John 3, 16, Jesus' most famous words. These are Paul's most famous words, 2 Timothy 3, 16, where he says this. All Scripture, how much? 
all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How much of the Scripture? All Scripture. What Scripture was Paul talking to Timothy about? The only Scripture that they had, the Old Testament. All Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. You see, when the Bible asks us to take the first of all of our earnings, it requires a pretty big thing, and it's called faith. And here is how faith works. Yeah, we done with that? Yep, let's go to this one. You got a shot of that? You see, let me explain this. We've got two Christians, two Christians who believe. One has that sense of faith in regards to their finances. The other one doesn't. And so to get from A to B, this person who doesn't have that faith, see, we'll come to this in a moment, to get from A to B financially, the per, this person says, I'm going to need 100%, 100% of my earnings for me to get from A to B. Is that clear? Is that clear? Great. The other Christian, this faith-filled Christian, they say this, here's what I believe. I believe that God will take me from A to B on 90% of my earnings, and I'm going to give 10%, as I've been instructed to, as a tithe, and as I believe the reward for my faith, as God promises in His Word, I actually believe that God is going to take me, not just from A to B on 90%, but from B to see that the Bible refers to as blessings and as favor, where the supernatural activity of God unfolds in our life from B to C. Every tither that I know can tell you B to C kind of stories, answered prayer, favor, protection, new friendship, new opportunity, unexpected blessings, only God kind of moments. And God, I want to declare over us this morning, God has sea stories in mind for you, but it's going to require faith. It's going to require faith. Here's what happens. Let me go back here for a moment. Here's what happens between these two types of Christians. Both think that the other is absolutely crazy. I'm going to use this word. I wouldn't normally use it in life, but I'm going to use it in my sermon this morning because I've got the microphone. <laughs> Both of these people think each other are idiots. What I mean by that is this. The non-tither says there is no way that you will get from A to B on 90%. We've already discussed that, and you're, you're, you're the idiot. The faith-filled follower follows, um, uh, he says that, uh, no offense, but you're the idiot. The A to B is what most people are signed up for. All you are going to experience here is from A to B. You may never know the feelings of God's supernatural activity in your financial life because this is where you are to live, in the land of blessing and favor, in the B to C kind of life. And I want to ask you this morning, which idiot do you want to be? Personally speaking, just for a moment, my wife and I want to be faith-filled idiots. 
we've been this idiot since we got married 18 years ago in January. And I'll never forget the time we sat down and we started talking about this part of our lives. And of course, you have to talk about this part of your life. If not, it will take over your life. And we sat down and the first thing that Karen came out to, I'll never forget this, I told her the other day. I said, do you remember that? She said this. She said, Steve, we're not going to rob God. We're not going to rob God. And that's been our sense of being idiots together. <laughs> we build the church together with our tithe. It resources the church. It's how we fund and finances all the needs of the local church that we believe is the hope of the world. You know, I know it has warts. I know it's, you know, it's not perfect because you and I are in it together. But gee, the church has a lot of answers. I was thinking about that during the week and I don't have time to go in in terms of the answers that we have. But what he purchased with his blood, we will support with our tithe. And together our tithe builds the church. It funds and finances the church. So you can't put God last in your budget and claim he is first in your life. Let's move on. Let's go to the fourth one and it's this. Is that, is that how much I've got left? Really? Okay, because I read a moment ago. Here we go. Um, I will set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for what? Emergencies, giving opportunities, and for my later years. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 6, 6 to 8. He said this. Watch the ants. I love this one. Watch the ants. Learn from their ways. You believe we can learn from such a tiny creature? Says they store up provisions during what? The summer to be used in the winter months. Have you ever gone through a winter time financially speaking? You know, where stuff at home is just, you know, um, the oven blows up, the car breaks down, the hot water, the school fees. Am I hearing you? Unexpected. Am I hearing you? Yeah? You become overwhelmed and how are you going to pay for all of this unless you have adopted the wisdom of an ant? An ant even knows how to get on top of this in their life. One of the things we've introduced is this. I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, let me go over here. Come back. Um, here, uh, just very quickly, is this. This is the principle of the 10-10-80 rule. And it goes a little bit like this. Because the 10-10-80 can prepare us for winter times. The first 10% is, got, is for God's purposes. That's the tithe we bring into the storehouse. The next 10% is for emergencies and giving and opportunities and, um, uh, and, and our future. And then we live on the 80%. It take, costs a lot to live, doesn't it? On 80%, which remains. And so this brings simplicity and um, peace to our financial world. September 6th, by the way, just very quickly. See, some of you might want to come down and me for, to pray for you about this. But I say the best thing for you who are struggling in this area of finances to attend a discipleship course which will help you move along the hope pathway. It's called Mastering Your Money. There's a table out in the foyer today, and it's not until September that this is run. September 6th is the first day. You say, well, that's a long way away. Last week, you remember what we talked about, right? Yeah? Getting organized. Put this in your diary now and get on top of this now. September 6th, there'll be someone in the foyer there to be able to help serve you. That is for later on. Fifth and final one. Let's come back. Fifth and final one, and I'm done. Oh, is this the one? Oh, here we go. I will live each day with an open heart toward heaven, eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding my resources. 
Brad, I'll get you to come. Thanks, buddy. Here. Here's what happens as we bring this into landing. Um, when you are spiritually reconciled to God, we each have an ear to listen and to respond to God's whispers. He also has an ear to hear and listen and to respond. And these incredible things unfold. And I can tell you many, many stories that I've personally been part of, but others that I've heard stories of. When you are spiritually reconciled to God, incredible things happen. You pray. He listens and responds. He speaks. You listen and respond. And so when you are spiritually and financially reconciled to God, you get to have these experiences that are out of this world. It's B to C kind of living that we're invited into. And a part of a leader's job is this, is to call people to decision making. It's decision time. So I want to ask you these two questions. What happened to Zacchaeus that particular day in his house? His life was radically turned around and changed. First of all, spiritually and financially. Spiritually, then financially. And so I'm asking this morning, are you spiritually reconciled to God? Another dot point under this is that Easter weekend, we're going to have a big baptism service here. And this may be the next step for you. So I'm inviting you to consider that. But you'll never regret being fully reconciled to God. The second thing I want to ask you this morning is, are you financially reconciled to God? You are only one decision away from the B to C kind of living. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call us to decide before God these five statements. Do you believe them or don't you? And I'm done. This is between you and him right now. Forget the person on your left and on your right. Talked about being spiritual and financial. And these are some of the words of being debt free. Here's the first one you might remember. If I can get there. <laughs> is this, do you believe this? Are you? Spec the text. Are you joyful? Are you happy between A and B? Or you really want to move in faith from B to C? prepared? Are you prepared for later? Are you honoring him? Are you managing that in which he's brought your way well? Hmm. This, is, this, is, this is a great thing. If you do, be prepared for incredible things, not just to come your way, but through you to this fragile and uncertain world. Let me pray.
maybe for spiritual reconciliation this morning, maybe this, this prayer will help you step across that line of being spiritually reconciled to the Father, the way that Zacchaeus was that day, that you would pray this prayer in your heart. Dear God, I need you. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. And I need your life in me. God, would you help me today? Because today, I want to turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. So today, I give you my life. I give my life to you and I receive your life in me. I declare this day that I belong to you. I thank you for your love and I thank you for your life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And so, Father, may the decisions we make here today bring about that sense of great freedom, joy, and peace that will bring you all the glory. Would you change and transform hearts spiritually and financially? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. How about we